Welcome to the Sport Mind podcast series, where I sit down with world-leading guests and unlock the secrets to mental strength in sports. Today, before you dive into the episode, I have something special for all listeners. Are you struggling with self-doubt, overwhelmed by performance anxiety, battling inconsistency, or facing fear of failure in your sport? Are you looking to overcome these obstacles and conquer the mental game? Well, I've got just the toolkit for you. An ebook I wrote called Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport, which you can get today completely free of charge. This comprehensive ebook is a treasure trove of practical and actionable strategies tailored for athletes who want to unblock the most common mental obstacles. Each chapter offers digestible advice, providing immediate tools you can apply to enhance your mental game. Readers have been raving about the insights and the transformations they've experienced with this guide. Teresa from California emailed recently saying, your guide is brilliantly helpful. I've just been getting into it and I'm truly excited to use it to help with the obstacles I face regularly. I wrote this ebook to be concise, punchy, and most importantly, practical for immediate application. And the best part, it's completely free, a token of your commitment to your mental and athletic growth. So click on the link in the show notes right now to grab your copy of Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport, or simply visit the SportMind Hub by Googling SportMind Hub. Equip yourself today with the knowledge and tools to face those mental challenges head on. Now, let's jump into today's episode and get ready to elevate your mental game to the next level. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to your next installment of the podcast series. Today, I have on the show Barry Smith. Barry is the founder of Simprove Limited. Over 30 years ago, Barry noticed a significant difference in the health of his cattle when fed with grain treated with bacteria. After leading vets suggested the product could have benefits for humans, Barry led a research and development program to produce a formula suitable for human consumption. The resulting food supplement became Simprove, which was launched as a brand in 2010. Clinical research by leading academic bodies, including University College London and King's College Hospital London, has proven that Simprove arrives, survives, and thrives in the gut, improving the balance of the gut microbiome. Barry is an expert in using food technology to manage well-being. He has previously run his own market gardening business and was a medic in the British Army. Today on the show, we talk about his journey, his story, as well as the importance and the power that good gut health plays in our lives. He shares studies done for IBS, Crohn's disease, as well as some groundbreaking research in the field of Parkinson's disease, and how his product is showing some highly positive results to reducing the suffering of patients with this debilitating disease. It sounds like he is right at the cutting edge of this research and is a leading light in the way of getting our microbiomes right in our gut for optimal performance. Please do go check out Simprove.com for further details and information, and I'm a personal user of the product and feel a huge benefit from it. I'm not sponsored by the product and purchased it for my own personal consumption. Please do enjoy the show and also do share with those that may be suffering and who would benefit hearing from Barry and the power Simprove holds. Barry Smith, welcome to the next episode of the podcast series. I'm really chuffed to have you here today. I just want to kind of kick off and how are you doing in general? How's life? Are you healthy? Are you well? Yes, I'm really well. Um, Fortunately, I'm on Simprove every day, so... I've got no option but to be really well. <laughs> You've got to be the, the poster boy for, for the product, yeah. I've got to live to 100 to prove it works. Yes, good. I like that. I, that's always been my mind. I always get to that century. I've always thought, actually, it's a great number to get to. But um, listen, I, I think 
I'd, I'd love to kind of kick off with maybe exploring your fascinating story. Um, I think it's a great place and we'll start at the beginning. So 1986, you were unhappy with existing animal feeds. Why was this? Well, at the time, uh, the rules have changed since then, but at the time um, it was quite commonplace to have uh, within a concentrate pellet, which is the main uh, energy source for livestock, to have um, sawdust, uh, chicken feces, uh, rendered waste from the abattoir, oh, wow. uh, laced with antibiotic to make them grow, and then to use a steroid in the animal's ear to make them grow on very poor quality food. In other words, if you could get a protein reading out of it, then that was good enough. So you can get a protein reading out of the tabletop in front of me if you take some shavings from it, but you won't okay. do very well on it. So we were really interested in the idea um, of having a clean food. And I'm not a flat earth society organic person. I just think all farming should be cleaner. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I tripped over the idea of using germinated grain. Nothing new there. The Romans were doing it for their gladiators centuries ago. Okay. And um, what livestock were you dealing with at the beginning? Was it, was it a, a broad range? Um, initially, um, I had a, a calf unit and a beef unit. Um, mm -hmm. So we rear our own beef at the farm shop and a market garden in the main. Um, and uh, one day I was a sensible farmer buying good quality stock to grow. And once I'd realized the propensities of the technology, I was buying animals that probably would have been dead by morning uh, mm -hmm. and, able, and able to um, recover them, make them well into strong batches of animals. As I experimented with the idea, my, my basic training was as a military nurse. Uh, and when I left the army and went to farming, um, right out of the blue, that things connected and it just seemed like a, a better way of looking after animals rather than shoving them full of antibiotics to get them over every hurdle. Mm. It's an entirely different way on stimulating the microbiome to function so that the animal could defend itself and I could do that on a repeated basis. Mm. So it was starting with um, calves, but um, I very quickly went into uh, the pig side of it, which coincidentally is the nearest species to people. And then um, it went through various uh, 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 species within uh, European agriculture. And then we had this big step change. We were about to close the company down actually because people weren't understanding what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And then we had a big step change because of uh, the findings of farmers that were uh, growing ostriches, uh, firstly in the UK and then in Zimbabwe. And the mortality rate was massive. Everything um, of everything that was hatched, they were losing 80%. And we took that down to 2%. And that gave us the next step of uh, credibility within as to what the product could do. Amazing. Well, we had a, we had a good little offline chat. So I'm glad we talk about this now, about the connection with Zimbabwe. And I grew up there, very, very fond memories of it. Um, and yeah, you told me the story about the Cunninghams, the ostrich farmers in Bulawayo, that, yeah, you said you took 80% mortality rate down to 2%. So I, I want to get to that little bit of a timeline and the thread in a moment. Um, I want to maybe quite a simple question, but did, did, did you, I'm kind of getting at what, what stimulated you to start experimenting with it? Did you notice the animals weren't operating, functioning the way you did? And then when you did start to experiment and find different ways to get their gut health better, did you see visible changes? So how did that little progress and process work? Okay. Well, um, my CEO calls it um, a combination of um, curiosity and serendipity. And uh, and I had enough, just enough knowledge to be dangerous. So I was getting some good information <laughs> from uh, um, uh, uh, the people who had some knowledge about the bacterial side of our equation. So best explain that we were originally interested to in the idea to germinate grain to have this clean food as a replacement, mm -hmm. which worked, but the, but the clean food would 
go moldy within about a week or 10 days because it's a highly nutritious, moist uh, product mm -hmm. and it would grow molds and, and go off. And so we originally were only using the bacteria to preserve the germinated grain. But once we started to use that uh, combination of the germinated grain that were pickled in bacteria um, and uh, some of the effluent from that, um, we could see was having what we now know as a medicinal effect. Mm -hmm. We're not allowed to say medicinal effect because we're a food supplement, but a health benefit, let's say. Mm. So um, that was the first steps. And then as we learned how it worked agriculturally, it was being refined all the time. And then when agriculture eventually crashed out, because even the ostrich market only lasted a period of time, and, and that was a sort of flash in the pan idea mm -hmm. uh, for, for, you know, to be a, a world dominating product that didn't happen um, and uh, so what we did was we reversed the technology so instead of using the bacteria to preserve the grains mm -hmm. we had by then found out a specific grain barley that happened to produce exactly the component parts we required for feed for the bacteria we squeezed the life out of that uh, uh, grain and generated what i call a, a a barley soup okay we then sterilized the barley soup by pasteurization. We had the perfect food for the bacteria. We then introduced the bacteria and thus walked away from the feed side of it, but maximized the bacterial number side on perfect food for it in a liquid product. Mm. So we went from a, a germinated grain product as food to a liquid product to maximize the bacterial content. Brilliant. And and that's obviously, I think it's important to lay down this backstory because when we want to get into the, the details about Simprove and, and, and how the transference to humans, I think it's important to talk about this. Did you, so so when you say you saw better health in the animals, was it just, was it visible things? What, what did you notice straight away? Well, in my initial livestock, it was to keep them alive because calves were quite regularly at the time. Again, the rules were changed, were taken away often without colostrum from their, from their mother. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, they would be in a bad way in the market and you could um, give them a drench of, of, our, of our liquid product. Is, uh, early on, it was called EL60. And we could pick them up and get them onto milk and recover them. So that was the first thing. But then we started to get really positive effects in uh, in pig farms. Mm -hmm. And it's totally coincidental that, that that led to people because it's the closest species to us. But um, pig farms was a sort of big market at the time, and many of those have gone bankrupt now. But essentially what we would see is a stimulation of appetite, uh, control in what's called scouring, when an animal is um, basically got diarrhea and dehydrating and dies because of that often. Right. Um, a reduction in the dependency on antibiotics, an increase in their lean growth rate, uh, and... Um, more importantly, a, a reduction in mortality. So, which we also saw in ostrich farms, but in spades because they happen to die more mm -hmm. because they're not genetically refined to be grown intensively like our pig farms are. So, on a pig farm, you might have a, 50, a 14, 50% mortality if you had a, a management problem. Really top quality pig farms might have six, six or 7% mortality, and we could halve that every time. Wow. So, what we did to, to get to your point about what did we see, we, we saw that and then we could get people to understand that. So we gave hundreds and hundreds of barrels of products away to pig farmers. Okay. We drop, drop it on their doorstep uh, and either see them there and then or phone call them in the evening. Say, so we've just dropped you this uh, product called Lactosim. Uh, we, we, we think it'll help. What we'd like you to do is to put 50 pigs into one pen, 50 pigs into the other pen, put them on the product and tell us what you think. 
That's so and so cool. we, we started to glean all this information. And what came back was that it's more alive, they're growing well, and they don't need antibiotics as much, and they're pinker. And why they're pinker? Because all of our systems are working properly, including the circulatory system. So you get this visible rubescence. Mm. And quite often, the weirdest thing is you'd want to take a, another farmer to show them what we'd done on a particular farmer. We wanted them to see that there were more pigs and that they were bigger against less pigs that are smaller. Sure. And they say, they're pink and they're grey. Because it's funny, the colour is what you see first. Yes. So that's, awesome. so that's, that's, how, that's how we cut our teeth on it. That's really cool. I love that that way of like like semi marketing but collecting data for your product at the same time. Yeah, dropping it on their doorstep yeah. and go get get using it. Um, you said something interesting a moment ago. Um, the Romans used it for their gladiators. Did that form part of your thinking? Did you go down a rabbit hole and research that, or was it just a bit of a light touch that uh, way? No, that 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 came much later on when we were uh, we had a we we have quite a lot of interest in the in the product all over the world and. Uh, Coincidentally, we found out that in the Middle East that barley is a revered um, uh, cereal, okay. and and that the Romans used to use it uh, to be, keep the best of the barley for the gladiators. Hmm. It's just nice. an interesting thing interesting. that we learned on, on our travels. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm gonna I'm gonna close that loop soon about like like the I suppose the leap from like the animal to the human. But just before we get to that, um, let's explore that Zimbabwe connection. I think I think it's really worth having a chat about. So ostrich farms in Zimbabwe. It was in the mid 1996 I think you said. How did that all start? How did that all form? Was it was it a, just a, an email, a phone call about this? How, how did that kick off? Well, it's it, we were at the lowest low at the time. It was it's not worth carrying on type position because British agriculture was in a very, very poor way. Uh, there was no funds and, and you were trying to get across an entirely new idea that wasn't really accepted at that time. Well, definitely wasn't. So, you know, it was I always say for me, the third, 36 years to be an overnight success. <laughs> at the time, no one got it. So what happened was my wife got a phone call from a guy called Dan Stewart. I don't even remember his name. Um, and uh, he was a guy who retired from the RAF and wanted to go ostrich farming in his retirement. And he said to my wife that he had ostriches dying and he, and he wanted some product. And then asked me, and I said, that's completely time. Who's doing ostrich farming? And then said, and you've got to speak to this because his brother has worked on one of the calf trials that you ran in Belfast. And he said it will help with the mortality. And that's why this guy, guy is phoning. So I said, look, just send him some stuff free of charge. I thought that would be the last I heard of him. Mm -hmm. And 10 days later, he called again and said, you, you need to speak to this guy now, Barry. So I spoke to him and he said, uh, you need to know that your product is going to change ostrich farming. And I said, well, I'm not quite following uh, Mr. Stewart. And he said, well, he said, I've lost chicks every single day. And from the day I've on your product, I had a, a single chick dead. That's ridiculous. Wow. He then said, I'm buying my... Uh, course stock from a chap called Peter Cunningham. He's coming over to a meeting in Scotland. Will you meet him? Peter Cunningham came to our production unit, which was virtually dead on his legs. <laughs> I explained what we were doing, and he said, "Wow!" He said, "You're sitting on a rocket." And I said, "Well, no one's lit the fuse yet." <laughs> and within four weeks, we had product in Zimbabwe. Within twelve weeks, we had well, within the, within um, almost uh, six to eight weeks, we had the mortality reduction. Mm -hmm. And then we had this ridiculous call where he said, oh, on the growing birds, he said, I can tell you they're twice as big. I said, Peter, I said, you're talking complete rubbish. He said, well, we'll weigh them in a couple of days. I'll call you back. And he said, yeah, you're right. He said, um, they weren't twice as big. He said, they were 
They were 29% bigger than the control group. And the reason they looked twice as big is the plumage was enormous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of their health is better. <laughs> but they're still more alive and growing really well. And then that led to um, a sort of a short two-year odyssey where I was busy setting up in Zimbabwe and getting them to understand the technology and going around the ostrich farmers, mm -hmm. explaining how it worked. They were all delighted with the product. And then uh, a huge farming linked with this Zimbabwe group. They linked them to us, and we ended up moving the product out to Indonesia and China uh, for their uh, operations as well. Wow. What is what a cool story. I love that. That's such a, a great little connection. And I, I'm not sure if then this was around about the, the, the same time now. So let's try and kind of take all this, this awesome knowledge, the story that you've given us. Where, how, why did the human element come in? Like, like, like how did that all start off? How did that kick off? Because you're obviously really down the rabbit hole of agricultural feed and getting that right. Where was the transition to Simprove as almost we know it today? Uh, well, I'd always known there was a potential to use it for people, and but I was I was basing um, uh, our then knowledge on agricultural side because uh, it it was a sort of was the big market and and there was clear opportunity there with this high mortality thing, which which came out you know in extreme with the ostriches. But um, it took about another four years, and then the ostrich farming uh, community went bankrupt. Certainly, that company that we're involved with, and um, I had the opportunity to pick up the remnants of the company. The um, uh, Chinese um, owners of the company in Indonesia had left Indonesia in a bit of a rush because of the uprising there and anti-Chinese um, uh, element there, and they just we just lost them. And I had a really good um, um, businessman who was a, a, a financier who said, look, what you have to do is you have to buy the company back from the liquidator. So pay everybody, make sure everybody's paid except you. Then you say to the liquidator, we're the only ones that are owed any money, and then you can pick up the rights. Wow. So we picked up the rights back from the liquidator, which, which basically meant we had it back on a plate, but there was no business there. Mm -hmm. My wife and I um, made the decision that we would try and take the whole technology to people. Okay. One of the reasons for that is that we took some advice from a company and they said, I'm talking telephone numbers of money, 10,000, uh, 10, between five and 10 million pounds to prove that it works on dogs, same yes. again for cats, same again for horses, same again for <laughs> cattle, same again for pigs, and probably a bit less for people. <laughs> and so it seemed that almost an impossible route to take um, for companion animals and farming. Mm -hmm. And yet we were being encouraged by uh, some very eminent vets that it would work for people, which is in our little video. I mean, Robert Broadbent, who was a, a pretty um, vet, because he was on sort of BBC telly as a vet. And he said, look, Barry, it'll work for people. That's what you've got to do. So we uh, went to five hospitals, most of them years I was completely bonkers. Um, and then I, I saw a management team who invited um, me to speak to a doctor. I presume that was the case. Okay. But not, he, was, he was actually a, a doctor of science. So he's a professor and a doctor of science, of which there are only five in the UK. Hmm. Only one who's a gastroenterologist. To be a doctor of science, you have to do something of uh, international consequence. He's done it two or three times. Wow. Over four, four or 500 papers to his name. And he listened to what I had to say. 
I did, had no idea of the um, qualification guy I was dealing with and said sometime afterwards, either you were the biggest liar under the sun or it needed to be investigated. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And, so that started um, what we thought was going to be a three to four year run to try and get some evidence in people. It took mm. from uh, 2002 all the way through to publication 2014. Mm. So 12 years in total of which uh, five or six years was running the study. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, that's some long-term, uh, long-term investment. And, and like, yeah, you said at the time, like maybe there wasn't much cash flow flying around in that. How, how did you manage to navigate that, that period of continual testing? You, you're not getting income. You're not selling a product at that point. Are you really? No. So the way that we did it was that um, we had um, a potato merchants business. Sounds a bit bizarre. It's not exactly Johnson and Johnson, but that's what funded it. Um, delivering 120 ton of potatoes a week. We had a small business center any profits we anything did just back into uh which which was almost like an out of control hobby mm. i mean it wasn't <laughs> it was just trying to pursue what i knew the product could do sure. um uh but that's what we did um, and uh we then were advised to go to the welcome trust where we tried to raise 3.2 or 3.4 million to do what's called a phase two study in ibs which was the first market of interest for the technology mm -hmm. uh, we failed at the last hurdle to get that um i was absolutely shattered that was two years work including mm -hmm. taking uh, uh, doctors and professors and vets into meetings to explain how our technology works it wasn't just barry from sandy palm mm -hmm. and uh then prof found me up and said great news barry um i said how is that great news prof and he said well he said uh um, it really is. We can really move forward now. So if we still haven't got any money. I still can't run a trial, and you're still you're still going to say you don't believe me because there's no trial. And he said, "No, no." He said, uh, "You don't understand what's happened, dear boy." He says, um, "What's happened is you've just been peer reviewed by one of the world's leading peer review groups, and they haven't questioned your science. They've just said they're not giving three point two million pound to Barry Nan Smith at Sandy Farm because they always give it to Johnson and Johnson or GSK." Yeah. So I said, well, I asked, "Well, how the hell does that help?" He said, because now I can use it for doctor training because they've done all the work to say the science is square. Wow, that is brilliant. That so is we so then cool. ended up, the study's been run at King's as part of their doctor training program, and we deliver potatoes to pay for a doctor for five years. <laughs> that is a phenomenal story. Like, there's probably a whole pack, whole bit I want to unpack there. Maybe not on this show, but just like the resilience, the mental strength, the 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 focus of how to do it. But I like that, like a like a like a habit that, or not a habit, a um a hobby that was just running wild. But yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah, most people thought it was, I was bonkers most of the time. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Wow, that's superb. And um, sound might sound like a bit of a strange question, but any time along the journey, did you know, you wanted to try it on humans. Uh, uh, did you take the liquid? Did you just put it into yourself and have a little go? Like on your, how did that go? <laughs> um, well, yeah, uh, uh, farmers and farmers' wives and their children were the first to to realize how it worked. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and our um, 001 on IBS uh, is my, my chippy, sorry, my daughter's closed. My, my um, chippy's daughter who had IBS and it resolved that. Um, and... Uh, Really what happened was as people went through the study, because there's 186 people going through the study, uh, half of them on placebo. And what, the way that we set it up was if they were on placebo, they, as a thank you, they then got the product 
a 12 week course of the product as a thank nice. you afterwards. So we gleaned that information as well. Mm. And uh, we could see how it was working for those patients, which was very exciting, but we've still had to wait for the unlocked figures. Yep. Uh, yep. And uh, we, we sort of built it from there. And, and, and then what happened is, I don't think anybody expected the result to be as powerful as it was on our IBS study, because mm. um, as Prof said, there has never been uh, a, a result with the probiotics um, at this level as a full medical double-blinded run, uh, uh, run study, a, a randomized study. And once the penny dropped, um, every other person who could make the connect started to want to do more studies initially with the gastro team who did it for osteoclitis and Crohn's and then for diverticular disease and diverticulitis uh, and we were seeing all sorts of other stuff happening which is coming in anecdotally uh, and I think most extreme was um, we anecdotally getting stuff in on Parkinson's hmm. so I don't know if you know with Parkinson's patients I'm just going off on a rabbit hole as you call it but then um, mm -hmm. with Parkinson's patients 60 to 70 percent of them will have constipation sometimes for one or two decades before they're diagnosed with the didn't know that with I didn't it. know that hmm. and so one of our things our technology does is it balances the microbiome to balance your uh, bowel habit um, and so we suggested this to neurologists in the past but um, they weren't quite getting the message mm -hmm. and I got invited to uh, a meeting uh with a Dr. Trevelyan at uh, the Morris Worrell Centre, which is the biggest walk-in Parkinson's clinic. And uh, he said, we'd like to come through to the meeting room. I thought I was to a one-to-one -one meeting. I went to the meeting room. There's a professor, five doctors, a full research team, and fundraisers. And I thought, <laughs> what is going on here? Have I missed some emails? I got an apology from Professor Chowdhury, who said, um, sorry to jump in like this, Mr. Smith, but we already know your product works, but we now have to back engineer the study. Wow. So, and so our studies have been five years now and they're running on Parkinson's, which there are four, all of which are coming to fruition any minute, which is mm -hmm. all around the gut-brain connection and how that will impact the uh, slowing of the onset of Parkinson's, which is not a cure, but it manages it. So if you slow the onset, you have fewer people with Parkinson's. That is phenomenal. Like, you know, I was going to go down a bit of a rabbit hole with IBS and Crohn's uh, with that, but the Parkinson's uh, study and, and what's going to come out there sounds sounds phenomenal. You must be really proud of that. That must be something really gives you a lot of energy, right? It does. It's, it's very rewarding. Um, I love doing it. And uh, our new business partners, what about the way I describe, describe it now is that they, they sort of stoke the boiler and I can play with the train set, which is brilliant. Um, so I, I like to do that side of it. they when um, for most of the period, it was just myself running the research. We have an amazing CEO, uh, Mike Butler, who uh, understands everything that I'm doing and more. He's, mm -hmm. um, and so we worked together on it, but I, I more or less did that and, and Mike pushed the business on. Um, he kept on saying, he said to me once, um, enjoy your told you so day, Barry, on the result. But by the way, we haven't sold anything yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so well, it works out, but nobody knows. <laughs> exactly. exactly. You're so, um, um, yeah, I, I get on a very lesser level, get so caught up in, in in producing the content and getting real into the nitty gritty of the business side. I'm like, oh, I'm not worried about that. It's just you get so much joy and yeah. enthusiasm from from, yeah. from your baby, don't you, in that way? <laughs> yeah. So the way, the way that I see that now, I mean, there's about four or five people now that work on the research well, probably more than that, six or seven work on the research side now, which is very exciting. Mm. The group of business is growing like topsy. Um, and so the way that I see it in my mind is, if you can prove an IBS, which is not even considered to be a disease, even though it's, it, it is a 
hugely impactful on 10% of the population. Mm-hmm. And they get quite often get dismissed because it's just a syndrome. So go and sort your diet now. Mm-hmm. But they, they live in, in, in huge levels of pain and that needs to be resolved. Yeah. But it's a syndrome. And if you can do that and prove the technology, and I don't want to count my chickens, though I have had some insights from uh, stuff that's close to publication now, if you can then do it on Parkinson's, which is one of the most debilitating and horrendous diseases in the world, what everybody else has got to do now is fill in the bit in the middle mm. because it will actually have an impact on everyone for everything. And yeah. and that's, that's so in my mind. I've done the easy end, which which took 10 years. Even the, the difficult end took five years. And now it's up for everyone else to say, oh, well, how else can I apply this? How will it work? Yeah. Well, very good ideas how that that would work and essentially it's about um getting your own microbiome to defend your position uh and if you happen to be ill that has more impact than if not ill mm. and that's why i was really keen to reach out to you today for these type of messages for again something that that i was never really exposed to which i feel not upset about but i'm really glad i'm having it now but then you know some of the people i work with people that are listening to the show hopefully there's little sparks going off in their mind with this um one one connection I thought, and again, I don't know if this how far down the road this is. Um, Alzheimer's. Any any thoughts of the Alzheimer's gut connection? Is that even a thing you're thinking about? Uh, well, I, I left uh, the meeting where I was trying to explain how we what we wanted to do for Parkinson's uh, study, and one meeting in particular at School of Pharmacy. And uh, before I left the room, they were following me out, saying, "If it works, this is more or less the same test for Alzheimer's." There we go. Um, mm-hmm. and, and and also for epilepsy and also for motor neuron disease and also long COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and the trouble is the list is endless. Yes. Um, yeah. uh, and uh, it, it's not going to work for everybody or everything. I mean, mm-hmm. even in IBS, it doesn't work for everyone, but it's it's in excess of 90% will have mm-hmm. a, a benefit. Um, uh, and uh, these uh, more difficult diseases are a real challenge. And a, a lot depends on whether you can get the education to start soon enough. Exactly, uh, because obviously it's, it's going to be a lot more difficult to get someone that's got, uh, a lot easier to impact someone that has early onset than is someone that is down the line. Correct, correct. Yeah, uh, really powerful stuff. And um, you mentioned the gut brain health, the, the gut, the second brain that 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 gets thrown around quite a lot now. Um, could you help explore that with me? Like, like, and you saying like each person needs to get their microbiomes into the right levels. So again, I know a bit about this, but assume I'm hundred percent ignorant. What can you? How can you talk us through this for a little bit? Well, I, well, I look, I like to start off by getting people to think it's just plumbing and if the if the plumbing's running properly and there's nice clean water in it everything's good so if you use your gut as a as a plumbing problem um and you take parkinson's for example for the gut brain connection if you're constipated for a long period of time you, you will obviously distend your gut mm-hmm. and um that potentially uh, will cause lesions and bleeds and there's a thing called tight junctions, which is the barrier between um your gut and the rest of your systems that would uh, become weakened and as i understand it as a lemon what can happen is that there's something called neurochemical aggregates look upon it as bad stuff that you don't want inside you being picked up by the vagus nerve going up to the brain and accelerating the symptoms of parkinson's Hmm. so you've got a drain pipe it's blocked it started to split a bit the wrong stuff is leaking out and it's now going the wrong way it's Hmm. as simple as that Hmm. So if you can, you've got something that can resolve the plumbing. So you can 
take away the constipation, first thing you do is you take off the pressure from those tight junctions. Second thing is if you then have a microbiome that's functioning properly, it can produce a very important component part for our health, which is a short chain fatty acid called butyrate, which is wound healing. Okay. So there, there is some logic, or I haven't any evidence for it, that the butyrate would be able to help with the wound healing. And if you have then um, got the, the gut running properly and your gut line isn't being uh, stretched and you close down the tight junction so they're working properly, then you slow down the chance of those that bad stuff going up to the brain. That's my simple layman's explanation mm, of it. That's good. And, and if you can do that, um, I mean, it, Parkinson's is, it, 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 there are outliers, but generally it's within the last years of life. So if you can slow down the onset by three to five years, we have the potential of halving the amount of people suffering from Parkinson's. I'm not saying they haven't got Parkinson's, mm -hmm. but you slow down the impact uh, and, and the suffering uh, to later on, further on in life. Mm. Well, really well explained in that. I love that analogy. It makes complete sense in that way. Um, and just staying with that Parkinson's for a second, the the, the results have not been published yet. Is, is that correct? Yeah, so we have... Uh, Four studies underway. The first study is published, so people want to look at into International German Journal of Pharmaceutics, uh, Simproof and Parkinson's. They will see what's called the bench work. Mm -hmm. The bench work is taking Parkinson's patients' uh, people samples uh, and uh, uh, with and without Simproof and seeing how that impacts on the microbiome. There's a rodent study which is complete uh, and is being written up. So that could be published within a matter of months, we hope, fingers crossed. Mm -hmm. The pilot product that is completed and is in the process of being written up at Sheffield Hallam. And the largest of the four studies is being run at the Morris Royal Centre, which is 60 patients there, augmented with 30 patients at Lund University. That is also complete mm -hmm. and is also being written up. So they're just starting to access the data after unlocking, and that's all been written up. And we expect that information to come out sometime early part of 2023. So there's wow. four coming in a bit of a rush, hmm. uh, all of which took five years to run and to complete. Hmm. Um, and then on the other hand, which is where it gets a bit weird for us, is we've got hundreds of Parkinson's patients says it works for them because we're not a drug. So as people find out what's happening, they do their own research, they find out about our product, they go to... Parkinson's UK, they ask them about the product, they try the product, they feel better for it. And so we've got this really weird situation where uh, food technology can move uh, more rapidly because people mm. can use their common sense and try something that is that is augmenting their diet, essentially. Phenomenal. Well, it sounds like that that fuse has well been lit a while ago, but maybe it's fuses on about 100 different rockets about to explode here, Barry. <laughs> so I'm glad I'm having this chat with you now before you're, you're in, in the stratosphere and, and, and untouchable. It sounds <laughs> sounds phenomenal. And um, yeah, it, it, it's so interesting that you know, all of these, all of these studies and, and all of these these details around what you're doing, how you know, people can just educate themselves. They don't need to, you know, like kind of really be beholden to drugs and different things they can go. And and I'm what I'm trying to get at is um, how's your supply chain at the moment? Because it sounds like the orders are going to come in thick and fast, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, um, of course, the business site is banned on that, but and we are making more and more product. I mean, we've, we've hit record month after record month. Amazing. Um, but there's all sorts of very, very exciting areas. We've done a huge amount of work over this last period for 
use in the technology alongside antibiotics and instead of antibiotics. Um, so we're looking at ways of um, taking the pressure off technology that is being squandered at the moment and needs to be saved for emergencies only. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, there's going to be a lot of education around that, but it's about trying to lift your wellness to, uh, uh, to a higher level so that your systems can defend itself and you have less uh, reliance on antibiotics. Mm -hmm, totally. And, um, again, I'm just going to take like a real step back, a real zoom up because I know some listeners might be hundred percent unaware of gut health, what it is like, yeah, I've heard I need to have a good diet. So in your opinion, Barry, um, what do we all need to be aware of when it comes to good gut health? I'm talking like 101, like the non-negotiables. What, what, what advice would you give there? Okay. Well, it won't be mine. It would be a professor Beyonson's, um, who pulled me up short and said, you've got a great result in IBS. Whatever, whatever you do, do not say that your product is the be-all and end-all for IBS because there are four pillars. He said, you've got one of them, which is a probiotic that works measurably so, and that's good. He said, but you need to approach other things. You need to approach your diet, you need to approach your fitness, and you need to have psychological support. And he said, if you get all of those working properly, you won't get a 70% result. You'll probably get an 80% result. Mm -hmm. So what we did as a company, we said, okay, we'll take that on board. We took on board those pillars. On the diet side, we, if you look at our social media side, it's, it's a lot to do with cooking and the right type of foods and uh, and uh, uh, insights and helpful tips on that. There's also always something on there for yoga or um, running or general keep fit. Psychological side, I think, is covered a little in that we have a CS team with it, which uh, the people can phone into and talk to to get some advice and help and, and some support uh, for their decision making. Mm -hmm. And when you add that all together we're now sitting at a 93 percent positive response to wow. that whole knitted part of that technology yeah no no well said i'm glad we touched on that because i don't want this to become um and not, not that i think i was there but going here's the magic bullet here's the one thing i need that's going to transform everything and and you know some people might just be looking for that magic bullet but it's it's a whole uh tapestry of things isn't it and you've just explained it yeah. quite well and that links to your philosophy on 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 your company doesn't it? i think i i've read your philosophy and it's it's really cool that it's all interconnected yeah i mean it is and uh i think that's what's so exciting is that if you were to say oh, we've got a product and it will actually... I think the best way to explain it is we had this hang-up about you can only really prove something works if you take someone that's really has symptoms that are measurable and you can change those symptoms for the better. Mm -hmm. We had this argument or discussion that you can't go to the whole population. It's always going to be to those that are unwell because you can't make a well person weller. Now, well is not real world. That's one of my words. But you, we, we, what we then did is we, we took a, a well person's microbiome and we ran the tests on that as well. And what happens is that it doesn't matter if you're extremely unwell with something like Parkinson's or osteocolitis, or if you are non-symptomatic and consider yourself to be healthy, when you take a product, you will stimulate all of your good bacteria. You will restore the bad bacteria. You will have an improvement in your inflammatory markers. And it happens across the board, whether you're well or unwell. The difference is if you're unwell, it has a bigger impact. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And that makes complete sense. And, and, and yeah, I can attest to parts of that because fingers crossed, I'm relatively healthy and well, and, and, you know, take your product and understanding what is going on with, with Simproven and my gut health. There's, there's not been like these fundamental shifts because there doesn't need to be, the needle hasn't gone like crazy the other way, but in regard to like the, 
sustainability of you know the energy and the clear thinking and you know kind of like like kind of my movements and all that stuff don't really get too graphic here but um it, i kind of feeling that that just on my own personal level as a healthy individual has really helped in that sense so yeah i like that and um so barry what makes improve different to say the other off the mark like kind of off the shelf stuff in the supermarket you know when it comes to good gut health i think you've explained quite a lot of it but could you just expand on that a little bit please sure um well essentially um there are different groups but uh, you have um single line bacterias that uh, are in milk products which are a way of adding value to milk and four tables full of sugar and they have um, sometimes hundreds of different study results but none of which are considered to be of the right standard for the medical fraternity so first key thing is you should do randomized control studies at full medical standards to prove your technology mm -hmm. um, second thing is that if you have a freeze-dried bacteria then um, best way to explain it, if I took you down to minus 80 and then warmed you up again, how well do you think you would perform? Mm. Probably not too well. Um, and you can get some recoverability after taking stuff at, uh, to, to freeze dry stuff, but um, there is huge damage done to, to those bacteria. So the key thing is, uh, two key things really. One is that we, um, that's the start of our process. We do take freeze-dried bacteria. We stimulate them to get up to, to very, very high numbers. So we get the numbers up to very high. They're on the perfect food substrate, and they're what I call fit for role. So they're trained to be able to live in a low pH, which means they can survive the low pH of the stomach, and they can then get to the colon and have that benefit. Uh, and the second thing is, uh, I believe that we should step away from this, oh, our bacteria does this, and our bacteria's done a test on that. And uh, there's some evidence for the following. Uh, I think that we're, it's going to be a, a few decades before we're going to get there. And we've got a much simpler method, which is we deliver full lactic acid producing bacteria. And by producing that lactic acid, it stimulates all your, your own microbiome to function better. And because your own microbiome is supposed to be there, it's more likely to stay there, whereas stuff that's put in... Uh, uh, as a probiotic generally is transient and goes through we have evidence to show that simply stays there and stimulates your own microbiome to fix you mm. so ours is a bit more of a, a generalist approach if you like but um the impact would be rather than making a claim single bacteria out of thousands tens of thousands of bacteria is that what our bacteria do is they stimulate all of your hundreds of thousands of bacteria to do it for you nice and I think that was part of the University College of London study, if I'm not mistaken, that they, they proved that the, the, you know, your product stays in the gut for longer. Is, is that correct? Can you expand on that study? Because I thought that was quite an interesting uh, bit I read about your product. Uh, yeah, I think uh, the, the stuff that's coming out really from a company, we work with a company called ProDigest, run a simulated digestive tract. Mm -hmm. So it's considered as to be um, fairly uh, low science in that it's not in vivo in people. But to do this stuff in vivo, you'd have to be invasive, and that would be uh, difficult to do for the patient. Uh, so they have a simulated digestive tract, and what that clearly shows is that all of our bacteria arrive at the colon, so we don't even concern ourselves anymore about the acidity of the stomach and the bile juices and the pancreatic juice and the transition all the way through the small intestine to the large intestine. All of our bacteria arrive there. So that's key thing, and those studies show that, and they then show that if you measure the uh, sample um, at various points through the uh, colon, that all of the good bacteria go up in number, 
all the bacteria go down. Uh, there's a way of measuring uh, inflammatory markers to show that you improve on that side of things. And it doesn't matter which group of patients, you, uh, which fecal sample you use, whether it's somebody with Parkinson's or who has a who is well, you do it for all of them. Mm. Mm. No, good to know. Good to know. And um, I'm I'm sure we've touched on this, uh, Barry. There are probably one or two more little questions I want to kind of take you down. This has been super insightful, and and thank you for your time on this. But where do you see the future of gut health going? You know, what what because it's I don't know. Is it still in its infancy? It feels like things are getting discovered all the time. You're you're a testament to this. Where do you see the future of it? Well, it's um. I knew some years ago that the whole thing was much, much bigger than myself and much, much bigger than any individual. I mean, and I'm just talking about Simprove, and we're, you know, a, a scratch on the surface of uh, all of the other biotech companies who are looking at all of a whole host of other opportunities. So um, I think there's a huge educational problem. Um, I mean, uh, GPs, by their own admission, get two days of their three or four year course on nutrition. Um, so, um, there's that side of it. So that's why dietitians are an important part of our link because they have a bit more of an understanding. Um, so where do I see it going? I think um, we're really scratching at, at it at the moment. Um, the potential is just so enormous uh, that you should be able should be able to ring fence what's left of antibiotics and use this type of technology instead of. Nice. Um, I think uh, there's this education on people to make sure they focus on looking after their health and not to be reliant on the NHS in our case. Um, and, and, and often we see that uh, we, we get huge benefits uh, in countries that don't have a support system because people will take on board an idea more readily. Um, so there's a long way to go. There's a lot more to learn. Uh, there's been huge damage done to the Western world's microbiome, and we're trying to do, in a small way, a bit of reparation to that. Mm -hmm. and, and we will continue to do that, and we will continue to learn as we go. Uh, but I would say that within five to ten years, it's going to be an important part of every medic's armory to say you've got to get your microbiome right, nice. even though they're not quite sure what that means yet. Mm. And when you say we've damaged the Western world, our microbiome, can you just expand on that for a sec? Sure. This is fairly factual because it's not me mm -hmm. so um <laughs> so um the one of my heroes is um martin blazer who um is uh, one of the lead uh scientists on the human genome project and uh in his book missing microbes great read by the way um he tells you that um if you uh were born um in early 1940s in the western world you would have had um a thousand known species of bacteria and a thousand unknown and in that last sort of eight or nine decades there's only half of them left wow so when i say damage uh, that damage has been caused through a combination of um processed food overuse of antibiotics air conditioning central heating lack of exercise over disinfecting cesarean birth and the list goes on and on and on and it's depleted the Western world's microbiome to the point that only half of them remain in that's, 80 years. That's unbelievable. And the, <laughs> and the clue's in the name. It's the microbiome. We don't know that because it's inside and we don't see it or know it. So if I'm well, considered well, mm. then um, I'm fine, but you're not, mm. unfortunately. And yeah. so, and what we're trying to do is trying to, to stem that flow and to take control of that, to stimulate what's left and to start to uh, shore up and rebuild the position. 
Yeah, nice. I heard a great quote the other day along those lines. Uh, it was actually in a child's book, but it's really, really great. It was, it was a child's book, but it's also kind of written by adults. That. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, is, it was, isn't it funny how everything happens on the inside, but all we see is the outside? Uh, it was kind of, it was like kind of how we yeah. think as well, but like that really links to the microbiomes, you know, it's all happening in the inside, but actually on the outside, we might be looking a certain way, but actually deep down there's, there's some problems, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. And, and people didn't, obviously don't think about it, but with, with without them, we don't exist. This is, this is a hundred percent symbiotic without our gut flora, we're, we're out. Mm. And, yeah. yet, and yet there's only this understanding now that we've destroyed half of them in the last 80 years. Hmm. That's interesting. Where you at? This might be a complete kind of left field thing, but but I've I've been looking into it for the last kind of couple of years and do it a lot myself. Cold showers. Um, you know, Wim Hof was very big on his kind of cold therapy stuff. Is there any link there or not? Not whatsoever. Do you know anything? You know, again, getting back to the whole like nature thing and you know trying to trying to make sure that you know we're not living in in air conditioned or overheated places in a way. Um, cold shower therapy has been proven in a lot of inch or cold water therapy has been quite proven. Any thoughts on that from you or not? Well, firstly, I'm not playing because I was brought up in the Far East, so I prefer a warm water <laughs> cold. <laughs> I know it's it's not like it's not great for me. I hate it, but hey, I'm I'm yeah. persisting. But the, the, the short answer is I don't know. That's fine. Mm. I, I, and I, I, but on the other hand, you never can tell. I mean, it has to be said said that um, 30 years ago, what I was saying was totally woo woo, mm. and yet now. We're, we're heading towards half of the people who buy Simproof come here because their doctors send them to us. That's ridiculous. Wow. <laughs> but um, so, and so, and we've got a long way to go yet. We're not, we're not scratching the surface. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, 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 I mean, I, I'm all that's where curiosity and serendipity comes in. I mean, you know, I, I don't fancy going to drop into an ice bath, but people don't do it for fun. I mean, um, mm. Murray gets into a cold bath just to keep himself going for his tennis, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. There's, uh, yeah, and again, I think it's still in its infancy. The the actual benefits of it as well. So you know, I know people say it's good and crack on. And yes, there's some studies about it, but I thought there was just like a like a kind of a loose link there. Um, but uh, Barry, mainly uh, probably in closing, is there anything else? maybe we've not touched on that you think may be quite valuable and important for the listeners. Um, I know we've touched on some really cool topics, but anything else on, 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 on your mind that we, we might not have touched on? Um, I can't think of anything specific, but I suppose um, it's important to uh, check evidence that that becomes a little bit of a problem for Simproof because we're not allowed to directly um, show the evidence to the public. Mm -hmm. um, so, the public uh, to, to go about it properly have to get their healthcare practitioner to link into our evidence base and then uh, build from there. And you should do that with anything you take to make sure there is an evidence base and it's supported by uh, the authorities and, and by the medical community. Um, and uh, to bother to educate yourself uh, a little because uh, you, you wouldn't have to know much to know more than your GP. Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, it's, a, it's a new way of doing things. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we found it fascinating that we've got some amazing scientists and doctors who are completely on side and understand the technology and race ahead with it. And then on the other hand, we have uh, doctors found out who've been actually taught about the product because their patient has said, I found something at last that can help me. And then they come to us, which is just fascinating how you, there's, we've got this two-way flow because we're not a drug where yep. the user is, is is coming to the doctor and explaining that they found it the way. Mm. 
Brilliant. Well, that's a lovely final message. And that education piece, I think, is really powerful. And hence, we're sitting here today. And hopefully, there's just a little bit more education being put out into the world. Um, Barry, listen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for what you're doing, by the way. It, it's been on just a personal level, a really big, um, positive part of, of, of my life. And I, I really advocate for it. So again, thank you for your time. But also, thank you for what you're doing. And it sounds like that curiosity itch is going to keep going. Um, yeah. Good luck with the studies coming out. I'm definitely going to be having a read of them and, and see how that is. Parkinson's and maybe the Alzheimer's one. That sounds really, really cool. So um, thank you very much, Barry. Thank you for your time. Bye-bye now.